on the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Brew October, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a Windrest Community Bank, and Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City, here's Matt Pauley. We're still just trying to hold on to Brew October. That's what we're doing. Just hold on. We can't accept the fact that not only is baseball season over, that Brew October is over. Even though, I don't know about you, Greg, it feels like a really long time since the Brewer season ended. Like, really long time. Yeah. It's been, what, three weeks? But, man, it feels like a really long time since Brewers' season ended. Uh, Welcome into the program. My name is Matt Pauly. We are with you for the next, uh, now, 49 minutes until 9 o'clock this evening. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or you can uh, tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Uh, here's what we've got coming up on the program. We'll talk about the outfield situation for the Brewers. You don't really have clarity because you have no... Look, <laughs> there is. We have no clue what anything's going to look like next year because, unfortunately, we don't know when and if baseball is going to be played, if we're being completely honest about things. And that's going to be the dark cloud that is going to hang over this program and everything baseball-related until a new collective bargaining agreement gets worked out. And there are reasons to be optimistic, and there are reasons to be very pessimistic about them getting a deal done. And it is incredibly frustrating when we're talking about billionaires and millionaires not being able to get on the same page when we're just fresh. It would be frustrating no matter what. But when you consider what the last two years have looked like in our country and the world, for that matter, for them to be doing this and there just to be not really that, that much optimism about it. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't feel good. But they got time. They got time. That's good news. They've got time. But the current agreement does expire right at the beginning of December. So if 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 that happens, then they're going to go into a lockout at that point. At that point, the owners will lock out the players, and the off season will just basically stop right there. Like even things like the winter meetings wouldn't happen. The major league portion of the winter meetings would not occur. If the if there is a what would be a lockout at that point in time, so uh, yeah, that's we'll, we'll talk about that again. The outfield situation: Jackie Bradley Jr. opting in. I don't think that's a huge shocker. Avisael Garcia opting out. I don't think that's a huge shocker either. Uh, what the outfield is going to look like last year? Who knows? Who knows? But what anything is going to look like next year? Who knows is the question to get to. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That is the uh, AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Tax Line. You can tweet in the program. We will have game time at 8.30. A special Greg Hill birthday edition of game time is going to be uh, coming up and look forward to doing that. I don't know what the game is. Greg is springing it on me, and it's his birthday. So uh, it should, it's got to be good, right? He can't have a bad game on his birthday. Correct. Yeah. That's uh, that's for sure. All right, so we'll take a break. Have more in just a moment. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ.
Brewers Weekly continuing here on WTMJ, an off-season edition, our first November edition. It is chilly outside. I don't even, we used to have a thing in here that said what the temperature is. That is gone. I think the last time I was here, long gone. I, was, I don't know what the temperature is outside. What's going on, Greg? What's going I'll on? I'll tell you later. Okay. There's a reason. <laughs> Oh, 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620, the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can tweet into the program as well. We'll get into uh, the outfield situation because a little more clarity here uh, with Avisael Garcia and Jackie Bradley Jr. making some decisions about their future. More on that in a moment. Let's grab uh, our first phone call of the program. We've got uh, Doug in Baraboo. Hey, Doug, you're on WTMJ. Good evening, Matt. Say, I just... Uh finally felt like I should call in. I wanted to thank you for all the shows this year, and I really look forward to the new ones coming up, and especially I wanted to mention the uh, at the end of the season, those texts that you got, and the callers that called in, I thought they, they were really, really uh, excellent. I, I listened to them all, and I really thought when you got your dad on uh, talking about the, uh, the greatest baseball game never played, I thought that was really cool, and and interesting. So just, you know, a, a lot of really good things going on. It's, it's been three weeks. I'm just finally getting over it. I knew I wasn't going to get over our season until that World Series was finally, was finally, uh, completed. So as we move on, then we're, you know, we, we ended our, our pitching staff ends with a 3.5 ERA. And, uh, that was just a, a great p- performance and it was kind of, um, you know, just disappointing because we didn't go further. And then now what do we do? We're getting a new pitching or we're getting a new hitting coach. Do we need a new hitting coach or do we need new players? You know, we ended up 14th as far as batting average in the national and 12 as far as strikeouts. And then the, the one that keeps coming back to me is we ended up 29th out of 30 teams trying to hit the curveball. And uh, I don't know if that can be corrected or if it was just a fluke. Yeah, uh, look, they got to do a lot. Like that's a great statistic. Um, maybe I'm just not smart enough to really lock in. I would say there's just, there's a lot of things they got to do better offensively. That that's the reason their season ended when it ended. It was because of what they did from an offensive standpoint. So, Doug, you can lock in on, on the curveball numbers, and and that's 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 a fantastic thing to look at. But they they just got to score runs. I, I again I'm I'm putting it in really simple terms here. I don't care how they score runs. They just got to score more runs. Yeah, I like to see. I don't know. I uh, well, I, I say I like to see a lot. You know, a lot more hitting. But then when I'm, I'm sitting there watching the games, I was you know the playoff games and and I don't know where all they got all these Atlanta got all these players. But I'm sitting there. Every guy that came up, he says, "Holy cow, we got 30 home runs or 31." It seemed like four or five guys in a row. Uh, you know, on the scoreboard, we're showing they had 30 to 30 more home runs. So I, I, I get confused. I don't know if it's the home run ball or if we got to get guys just make contact and uh, and move, move on from there. I guess we'll see. Now we lost our number one, you know, home run hitter. Or it sounds like he's gone anyway. Yeah, Doug, I appreciate the phone call and certainly appreciate the nice words here uh, a moment ago. As, um, yeah. So when it comes to hitting and. Uh, we talked about this before the Braves series started, about how tough of a lineup the Braves lineup was because of how many guys they hit. What was it? Was it seven guys who had 29 or more home runs or 28 or more home runs? 
during the regular season. I don't have the, the stats in front of me, but it, it doesn't matter if I'm spot on. It's a, that's the that's the general idea there. They had a bunch of guys who hit a bunch of home runs, and that's what that's what made them scary. And it, we can go back and we can say, you know, if if you allow the Braves to hit a whole bunch of home runs, well, then they're probably going to win that series. If you can limit the home runs, and the Brewers, as a pitching staff, were pretty good at limiting home runs. And it's not that the Braves hit a ton of home runs against the Brewers, but they hit some important ones, that's for sure. And the Brewers hit two, and they both came off the bat of Rowdy Tellez. So the Brewers have got to do more. And I I don't know how much impact a new hitting coach is going to have. I think the positives of a new hitting coach is you get some new eyes on some guys, especially if you, you, you want to bring somebody in who believes in the club hitting philosophy because that's, that's what the club believes in. That's what the minor leaguers are being taught and everything. But just because maybe you believe in the general philosophy, you can have your own tweaks on things. There's a lot of talk about um, Tim Hires. Hires has been the, the hitting coach with the Boston Red Sox. They offered him a contract to come back. He's not. He's somebody who actually played in the Brewers organization, uh, so he has some connections to to the organization, not so much uh, the current regime, but he, he has some ties to the organization. There's been some there's been some rumors out there that the Yankees may want to hire him, so he would stay out east if he did that. And I don't know this for sure, but I would assume that the Yankees can pay a little bit more than the than the Brewers are going to pay when it comes to a hitting coach. And I just I don't know how much of an impact a Tim Hi- like Tim Hires seems to be the single number one hitting coach candidate that is on the market market right now. How much of an impact will he have? Let's not forget the fact that the Brewers in the middle months of the season were a really good hitting team. They went about a month and a half where they were as good of a hitting team as any team in baseball. But they started slow, but and more importantly, they ended slow. And did, did, did they not hit enough home runs? Did they strike out too often? Were they not as successful against, uh, against the curveball? If you remember, uh, Will Salmon of The Athletic wrote a piece uh, specifically talking about what the Brewers were doing against off-speed pitches because they were horrendous when the season got started and then it got better as the season went along but then it went down again uh, as, as the season continued and it's it seemed like they had it figured out but then they didn't and the the challenging thing in this is in a 162 game season you have ups and downs and when your downs happen at the worst possible time how much stock do you put in that? That that's actually who they were, or that's what happened at the worst possible time? Because the worst teams in baseball play well at some point during the year, and the best teams in baseball have a, have bad stretches. So I'm I'm still uh, if it sounds like I'm just kind of like rambling on or grasping at straws and not being able to like completely put my hands around things. You're right. I I kind of am. Because I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out how real the offensive struggles were for the Brewers in the playoffs. I do think, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about the outfield situation, I do think that they are in a competitive window. They are in a championship window. They have arguably the best starting pitching in the history 
of the franchise, you cannot, you cannot disrespect that. And you disrespect that by not doing everything that you can in other areas to win. And I feel like this team is missing a bat. Even, even if Christian Yelich becomes MVP Christian Yelich again, I still feel like this team is missing a dangerous bat to put in front of or behind Yelich again with the assumption that Yelich finds at least some version of old Yelich once again. And that's going to be a conversation that we continue to have throughout the course of the offseason. 855-616-1620, 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Brewers Weekly. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Continuing to take you through this Thursday evening. Hot stove time for a while. Dude, if if they go into a uh, a lockout, Greg, do we still like is the stove still on or if nothing can actually happen, do we turn the stove off? Does it give does it get really cold inside because there's a uh, there's a work stop. There's a blown fuse, I'm sure, because I'm sure someone's going to get upset in these CBA negotiations. Yeah, so w- w- the the stove is operating right now, but there's there's only so much gas in there, and uh, we're not going to go uh, go get some more until we know that we can uh, continue on. Eight five five six one six one six twenty eight five five six one six one six twenty. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tweet into the program. At Matt Pauley on air. So here's the news the last two days. Avisael Garcia declining his half of the mutual option for next season. Now, originally it was not a mutual option, but he had some qualifiers that he could get to during the season. And if he got to that point, then it would become an opportunity for him to opt out. He has made the decision to opt out. He's coming off a really, really good season. And this is a chance for him to go make some money. On the other side of things, Jackie Bradley Jr. has opted into his contract. He will pick up the $9.5 million player option and remain a brewer for 2022. All right, so let's go through each of these things. First off, Garcia had a really good season for the Brewers. Really good season for the Brewers. Uh, I'm He was one of their best offensive players. And I'm, I always like it when players get an opportunity to go make a bunch of money. Like that's something I want to see play players do. It just is. Like this is this is going to be the opportunity for Garcia to set himself up for the rest of his life and set his family up for the rest of his life and those sort of things. Like go go make money. I have never begrudged a an athlete making money. Good for them. So Garcia's got the opportunity based off his results this past season to go make a bunch of money and he's gonna do that. And maybe that is with the Brewers. Maybe they have a conversation, and it makes sense for him to return. I would guess, my, my gut feeling on this is that Garcia is not going to be a Brewer next year. So then you have Bradley, who just had a miserable season, an absolutely miserable season. He wasn't going to make that kind of money next year. He just wasn't. And I, I talked about this a lot you know, down the stretch of the season. I thought it was going to be an interesting decision for Bradley because of how bad the season was and him coming over from the American League. And we sit there and we have that, that conversation. Okay, is 
was the change of scenery to Milwaukee bad for Bradley, where if he goes somewhere else, if he returns to the American League, something like that, it would be better for his performance, and would that motivate him to opt out and go make less money with the idea that maybe he could have more success somewhere, or does he make the money? And again, I just said, I'm never going to begrudge a professional athlete for, for making money. Now, I've seen... I've seen a lot of JBJ slander out there after this. Let me just remind folks, and I'm look. I I I don't like getting into the prediction business. I, I don't know what he's going to look like next year. Is there a chance that he comes back and he looks like the exact same guy next year that he was this year? Yeah, that's that's a possibility. But he's got a track record. He has a really good track record as a major league baseball player. And guys have bad seasons. For for whatever reason, guys have bad seasons. Think back to last year. Think back to the 60-game season. Omar Narvaez was not a good offensive player. He was a really bad offensive player. And there were people last offseason that were frustrated when Narvaez was set to be brought back by the Brewers. And at the time, you can go back to the table, I said, look, he's got a track record. He's not going to repeat that season and lo and behold, Narvaez turned it back around, and he had a really nice offensive season. He had an all-star appearance this year for the Brewers. I'm not predicting that JBJ is going to be an all-star this upcoming season, but I am predicting that his season's going to be better. So him picking that up and him coming back, I think we all need to accept the fact that there's a pretty good chance that he is going to have some type of bounce-back season next year. Wait for it. Wait for it. We we haven't moved on from the ding for bounce back quite yet. I, I think there's a good chance that he is going to have a bounce back season next year. So I wouldn't be so upset that he is going to return next year. Now, our guy Doug texted in, said, put Tyrone Taylor in right field, then they can go get a first baseman. All right, so is there a possibility that Tyrone Taylor is the Brewers' right fielder next year? Yeah, that's a possibility. Would I be upset about that? No, I would not be upset about that. But here's where I, like, and this isn't meant to be any disrespect to Avisayo Garcia. I just said a little while ago that I want to see the Brewers bring in another, like, legitimate all-star caliber bat. And as good of a season Garcia had, he's still kind of a step below that. Really good player, not quite that all-star. You know, he's, a, he's a mistake hitter, and there's nothing wrong with that, but Garcia's a mistake hitter. If you can find a way to bring in a really legitimate middle-of-the-order bat, I feel like right field's a really good place for that. If it ends up being Tyrone Taylor in right field, cool. Like I, I like Tyrone Taylor, and I think he's going to be an everyday outfielder at some point in time in Major League Baseball. But I also think Garcia walking out that door is an opportunity for David Stearns and Matt Arnold to really look and see who they can add to this roster and put in right field and see whether or not uh, you can get like that big-time all-star bat out there. Maybe you can. There, there are other spots for that. You look at third base. You look at first base. I mean, that right field is not the only opportunity to add that kind of bat. But I, just, I think right field's a big opportunity now for this team in the offseason, and I want to see what they're going to end up uh, doing with it. They've got some trade pieces. We, they've got so much pitching. And I know you never want to trade pitching away, 
but they've got so much pitching. Like I always mention Adrian Hauser as a guy that I, he, Adrian Hauser may end up being more valuable to you playing for somebody else. When you've got as much pitching as you have, you've got more coming. You know, Ethan Small hasn't even made his his debut yet. We saw Ashby this past year, and he's going to be somebody that's going to be in the rotation. You would think there's a good chance that they bring in some sort of you know veteran starter, a Brett Anderson type guy. I don't think Anderson's going to be back, but an Anderson type guy to, to to put in the the rotation. When you've got all that, maybe all of a sudden you look at Adrian Hauser and you say there are going to be other GMs out there that really covet him, that covet his sinking fastball, and if you can spin him off and bring in a big-time bat, put him in the outfield, have a number of years of club control on him, I would do it. I, I, I absolutely would do it. Maybe that's a pie-in-the-sky thought for me, but I would absolutely do it. All right, game time. That's next. It's Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly does continue here on WTMJ, 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tweet at me, at Matt Pauly on air. All right, it's that time. Let's get to it. This week's edition of Game Time. What time is it? Game Time! Okay, so usually I like to keep these light, and we will, but the crux of this segment comes with some unfortunate news. This is for our people in Green Bay. As reported by the Green Bay Gazette yesterday, the Northwoods League team, the Green Bay Booyah, Mm. is no more. Which more upsettingly means that their mascot, the giant chicken aptly named Rocky Balbuya, (laughs) is also no more. So, for those interested, they will be called the Green Bay Rockers. Really cool logo, must say. There's a guitar and then, I'm sorry, there's a baseball bat and then a guitar and an X, but the guitar is painted like a baseball. That's right up your alley. So, yeah, I'm hooked. You got me. I'm hooked. So, that brings us to why this segment is happening. A sad day for our guy Rocky Balbuya, but I was thinking that we could remember the most interesting of mascots in baseball who are no longer mascots for whatever reason. Okay. So here's the twist. Here's how it's a game, which you didn't know until five minutes ago. You're gonna have to guess, Matt, which of these mascots is actually real for these four for these major league baseball teams. Okay. So we'll start here with the New York Mets. The year is nineteen sixty two. This is pre Mr. Met. And Mrs. Matt, by the way. Who, which is the real mascot? We have, <laughs> we have Scrappy the Skyscraper, Homer the Beagle, or Rufus the Rat? I think Scrappy the, well, Scrappy. Well, you know, Scrappy, like Scrappy-Doo was around back in, you know? True. So, uh, I'll go Scrappy the Skyscraper as being the real, oh, I'm oh, wrong. Oh, man, that's a good name, though. Yeah. So if you need, you know, yeah. teams need an idea. No, it was actually Homer the Beagle. Okay. So the Mets front office wanted Homer to sit in the clubhouse. Immediately got shut down. Uh, manager Casey Stengel got on his nerves. So he was also, and Homer the Beagle was actually supposed to round the bases after every Mets home run, which is actually kind of a nice touch. Yeah, it didn't work. He would have to be wrangled every single time he rounded first. It took uh, three fielders, two ushers, and his handler to round up the rambunctious pup. Okay. Uh, made it a season. Just a season. Well, so, only one season. 1962, yeah. Okay. Homer the Beagle was uh, relieved of his duty. Sent down, if you will. All right, next one. Since a doggy heaven. 
<laughs> Let's go to the Philadelphia Phillies. Yes, of course. The year 1971. So this is pre-Fanatic. Okay. Before the Fanatic, they had two 15-feet-tall animatronic mannequins in center field. What were the names of these mascots? Was it Phineas and Ferb? Was it Frankie and Florence? Or was it Phil and Phyllis? One of these is real, by the way. Okay, so it was not Phineas and Ferb, not because Phineas that's Ferb. a, uh, isn't that like a Disney movie? Yeah, it's a kid's show. Okay. Uh, what was the second one? The second one was Frankie and Florence or Phil and Phyllis. Phil and Phyllis sounds good. Phil and Phyllis, of course. Yes. Phil and Phyllis would cheer on the Phillies from center field, as I mentioned. The team later introduced accompanied costume characters. The only problem, they were horrifying. They are so scary. They're painted like those like wooden puppets with like the rosy cheeks. Horrifying. And of course, they're like eight feet tall. Um, so that is why they were discontinued. And then, and then the Fnatic was introduced in the next couple seasons once they got rid of uh, Phil and Phyllis. Takeaways from that? No? Trust me? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Moving on. Uh, we'll go to 1979 to the Texas Rangers. Now, which mascot is real for our Rangers? Is it Rootin' Tootin' Ranger? Is it Hot Wranglin' Hank? Or is it Way Bill Willie? Is this wait, is this current? No, this okay. is not their current. This is 1979. 19- okay, good. <laughs> I'm so worried that like there's going to be a, a current <laughs> mascot that I'm not familiar with. I promise these are not current. Oh man, I, I what were the... <laughs> <laughs> rootin' tootin' ranger? Okay, I like hot that. Hot wranglin' Hank or not- way Bill Willie? It's not hot wranglin' Hank, right? Can you tell me that? Yes, it's not-, not hot wranglin' okay. Hank. Okay, all right. Um... <laughs> We'll go Root and Toon Ranger. Root and Toon Ranger, attaboy. Okay. Very nice. So Root and Toon Ranger only lasted one season, and it was barely that. Uh, he looks like the most copyright infringement violation of Yosemite Sam that there could be, except if Yosemite Sam's entire face was his mustache. Also setting up Root and Toon Ranger for failure, on his debut, the costume was so hot that the guy passed out in the middle of the game. So he only lasted a season because it wasn't doable. He was so hot. Literally a giant mustache and a hat. Hmm. Not good. And finally, we'll wrap up with this. The New York Yankees. They had to follow up the success of the Philly Fanatic right next (laughs) door, essentially. Year is 1979. Who was the correct mascot? Was it Yankee Doodle? Was it Doodle Doo? Or was it Dandy? It's got to be Yankee Doodle, right? It was not Yankee uh, Doodle. It's actually Doodle. Dandy. No, Dandy. Okay, so, that would have been my third choice. Yeah, right, exactly, because those other two names are clearly better. So basically what Dandy looked like was like, you know how the phonetic is like, the fanatic, excuse me, is like green and kind of furry? Yes. That's what the Yankee, uh, the Yankee I'm sorry, Dandy okay. looked like. Native from 1979 to 81, but here's the problem, and this is a real story that I'm about to read. Just weeks before his scheduled debut, Yankees outfielder Lou Pinella, that Lou Pinella, if you're asking yourself, got into an altercation with the San Diego Chicken, also a mascot at the time, I guess. Oh, I'm from very familiar with the San Diego the San Chicken. Diego, you know the San Diego oh, Chicken. Maybe the most famous mascot in the history of mascots. Okay, well then I'm glad I didn't put him on this yes. list. It would have been too easy. Yes. Anyway, got into a confrontation with Lou because the bird had just placed a hex on teammate... Grudy, Grud, oh man, I'm butchering this. Ron Drudry, Judry, careful. Gudry, G U I D R Y. Yes. Okay, which is admittedly kind of rude. 
which caused George Steinbrenner to publicly declare that mascots had a no place in baseball. Dandy did finally mm. make his debut. He was confined to the upper deck at Yankee Stadium. That better to shield him from the fans' ba- fan base's negative reaction. He was quietly shelved a couple of years later, never to be spoken of again. Have you uh, have you ever dressed as a mascot? Uh, I did. I was the guy in. I almost used a different word there. I was a guy in high school that had a flag, like all the you know the triangle flags of like the colleges they had. I yes. had a cape of that, and then I had face paint on, and I was the idiot that was like. Had sleeveless shirts and a cutoff shirt, no matter how cold it was. Mm. I used to be that guy. Okay, I worked in minor league baseball, so I have been a mascot <laughs> way yes! more than I would like to admit. Rattle them off. Come uh, on. I was Evan the Otter at one point when I worked for the Evansville Otters. That's good. Uh, I was Goober the Peanut when uh, <laughs> when I worked for the South Georgia Peanuts in Albany, Georgia. Okay. Uh, luckily for me, I'm a big guy. I'm a big dude. Um, when I was uh, working for the Burlington Bees, I was not fitting in to the uh, to the bee. I don't even I don't remember what his name was. It's probably something like Stinger, or I don't know. That makes sense. Uh, but I, I, they, they were not going to get me into that bee costume. <laughs> so luckily for me, uh, and it wasn't because of my um, my width. It was because of my height. Sure. Just to be clear. Never had that issue. Not the, yeah. No, you have not. (laughs) You can fit into most mascot costumes without much of a problem. (laughs) That's game time. Thank you for playing. All right. There we go. There we go. Uh, We will uh, take a break, come back, talk a little bit about the collective bargaining agreement. We're back with more in a moment. This is Brewers Weekly. Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly does continue here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. Just got a few minutes left here uh, in the program. 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. The Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, this collective bargaining agreement that is uh, coming up right at the beginning of December. I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm jumping all over the place on it. I, re- I Gosh, I wish I could give credit. I hate it when I read something and I forget who wrote it because I like giving credit to people who write things. Uh, but I, I read this past week, somebody was making a comment about uh, the way Rob Manfred handled one of his media availabilities at the World Series. Manfred, and I'm not a Manfred guy. I think if you've listened to me very much, you know that I'm not exactly his biggest fan. Uh, the the big storylines for the World Series that people wanted to talk to Manfred about were uh, being back in Atlanta after they did not have the the All Star Game and the All Star you know and Manfred wants to say that Major League Baseball is trying to be apolitical but obviously that was a very political thing that they did uh, when they took the All Star Game out of Atlanta um, the uh, the other thing is you know the chop which is another very political sort of thing. People very strongly fall on one side or the other if they think that the chop is is appropriate or not. And it was a very odd thing because Manfred actually said that they market games locally and not nationally. And essentially, that that's <laughs> he basically said they're okay with the chop. Major League Baseball is okay with the chop because the Atlanta market is okay with it, and they market the game locally. They don't market the game nationally. That was kind of his answer. And we're not going to have an argument here about whether the chop is correct or not. But I don't like the idea that he openly talks about marketing the game more locally than nationally. I talk about it all the time. 
Mike Trout's the best baseball player walking the face of the earth. If I go grab Mike Trout right now and take him to the Milwaukee public market and walk through, there's a chance not a single person is going to know that I'm walking there with Mike Trout, which is incredible. We can't say that about the best player in the NFL. We can't say that about the best player in the NBA. If I've got Steph Curry, if I've got LeBron James, if I've got Kevin Durant, I'm not mentioning Giannis because we're in Milwaukee, so that doesn't count. But if I've got these other guys, if I've got Tom Brady, um, you know, if, whoever it is, if I've got these guys, I think if I have Patrick Mahomes and I'm walking them through, they people know who those people are. They're, why is Patrick Mahomes in the Milwaukee public market? So I was a little bit frustrated with that. That uh, that's what uh, Manfred said. Uh, but the one thing is he seemed to want to talk more about the collective bargaining agreement than that other stuff. So maybe that's a good sign. That's that's the, Again, that's a point that I'm kind of stealing from somebody else, that he seems so uncomfortable about talking about the, the other stuff, but he was he very much did want to talk about the, the collective bargaining agreement and the negotiation that is going on. So um, maybe that's a good sign. Maybe that's a good sign. If that's what he wants to talk about, perhaps that is a very, very good sign good sign that they feel like that they've got some uh, momentum on their side. They got to get this done. They got to get the optics of coming out of a pandemic and not having baseball played, getting the season started late, having a shortened season. I would even argue starting spring training late. Now it's not the end of the world. If they have a shortened spring training, if they start spring training two weeks late, not the end of the world, but you still, those are the headlines you don't want. You don't want the headlines that, Baseball spring training is opening late because they don't have a collective bargaining agreement figured out. That is the last thing that you want. And, um, yeah, that's uh, the negotiations are going on. I don't think there's any reason to believe that they're going to get done before December 2nd. That's one month. So I absolutely do think that we are en route to a lockout, and that will just stop everything in the offseason. But I don't care if there's a lockout as long as they get things figured out before spring training is scheduled to begin. We'll wrap up this edition of Brewers Weekly next here on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Starting to wrap up this edition of Brewers Weekly, just a couple of big notes from baseball. Buster Posey called it a career. Spent his entire career with the Giants. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I was just about to ask. Yeah, I think he is. I, I'd, if I had to vote, I'd vote him in. Uh, Nick Castellanos opting out of his Reds deal. I think he would look good as a brewer, by the way. As I mentioned earlier about Absolutely. putting that big bat out in right field. I'll take Nick Castellanos. So let's get that, uh, let's get that done. Reds basically said this past week, oh yeah, by the way, we're not going to spend any more money. So, uh, the Reds appear to be going into Pirates territory moving forward. We'll talk to you next week for another Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. You've been listening to Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ.